0: I want to start by telling three little stories. It's June, and Micah's about six months old. And it's a day that I have been looking forward to with a little bit of trepidation because Micah has been going up and down with his relationship with the bottle. And he had had a couple months where he was really drinking well, Uh, from the bottle, but then he would go through periods of resistance, and right now we were in a down cycle, and Kristen was on summer break at this point. She's a high school teacher, but she was going to work for Peace Corps downtown on this day, and she was going to have a long day. So we did not know how it was going to go. Micah was not drinking, not eating any solid food yet. So Kristen goes off to work, relatively early first scheduled feeding he totally rejects the bottle 100%. I get a little nervous. You know, we try and play a couple games, walk around, get our mind on something else and we we go back to the bottle and he is reject I mean he is thrashing his body like he would throw himself off the couch onto the floor to get away from this bottle. And he's not taking in any liquid or food at all. So I'm worried he's going to get a little dehydrated, not get enough energy or food. He's going to become uncomfortable. And sure enough, as the day progresses, he's moaning and groaning and seeming irritable. So we had planned for me to go, the three of us, to have dinner together at about 5 o'clock for him to feed with Kristen, and I called her at some point late morning. I said, I think, you know, we have a problem. He's not drinking from the bottle, and uh, we go through a couple other strategies of how it might work, and nothing is working at all, and he just starts crying really hard, and then basically screaming his head off. So she had said there is a break time at 2.30 when I'm scheduled to work with my colleagues on the side during the break, but I could skip that if you bring him down and he needs to feed at that time. And at some point it's clear, yes, we have to get in the car and drive down to the Holiday Inn by 4th and Arch and, um, to feed him. So I get there a little early. Thankfully, there is a parking meter available. And we come in, and he he's just miserable. And I, I feel people are looking at us, feeling sorry for us and I'm waiting, and Kristen finally comes out of the session, and I try not to do this, but I just put him in her arms, and I am done. Like, I have spent every ounce of what I have to get to this point, point. and there's a hallway in the Holiday and lobby there, and at the end, there's a couch and a couple chairs arranged, and I walk down there, and I lay down, kind of trying to hide, and I just put my hands on my head, and just breathe for like 10 minutes lying on the floor of the hotel lobby. Story number two. <laughs> it's a beautiful morning, and Micah is eating food. And we start off our day as we do many times with him in his high chair and he's eating cereal with whole milk and blueberries, and he eats a banana. And you can't chop up the pieces of the banana because he totally re- He has to eat the banana like a big boy. And he finishes a good little breakfast, and he's happy. We're chatting, and it's time to take a walk in the stroller. We have a number of fun routes that we go on for our walk. Put them in the stroller, take them up the hill there's a sweet black lab dog on our block that he likes to interact with Mike, and mike likes to interact with him we go over the bridge and go through the park come down to our neighborhood coffee shop where uh, the owner knows micah and we see friends and i get my morning coffee which gets me going in the right direction feed him a couple cheerios and bring him back we're going to read books together and he chit-chats with the book. He turns the pages himself, points at things, talks about them. And then I could tell he's become, he's become a cute little snuggle puppy. He's getting tired, and it's, it's getting close to a successful nap time, which is good for everybody. And I lay him down in the crib. He doesn't like to lay down in the crib a lot of times, so I put my hand on his chest by his heart, and he holds my hand with both his hands, and we just kind of cuddle like that, and eventually he pops his feet up in the air and rolls over on his side, and he is out. (laughs) Story number three. It is four days before Micah's first birthday, and we're very lucky that we're on a family vacation in Mexico. This is between Christmas and New Year, just past. So it's Kristen, Mike, and I, my parents, and my sister, and it's the 26th of December. Um, my parents live in Chicago. They every chance they get to be with Micah, they're thrilled out of their gourds. And my dad, Mike, and I are in the hotel lobby very early. My dad's holding him and just in heaven holding little Micah, and Micah starts to thrash, and I said that means he wants to get down. So up to this point, he has not crawled. He's kind of, uh, a lot of the other kids his age are crawling, and we, could, we just feel he's frustrated. He really wants to do this, and he gets up on his haunches a lot. And some, he's trying, he's trying, he's like a millimeter away. So my dad puts him down in a crawling position and kind of just lets him go but is lovingly ready to grab him if he falls. And Micah, he does it, like, boom. boom. And here we are in the middle of the, the once again, a Holiday Inn lobby, actually. Now that I think about it, and I, yes, that's it, daddy, just did. So he did it first time, right, you know, two inches away from his grandfather's loving hands, the first crawl. I said he wanted to be in Mexico, uh, but he just was waiting. For those of you who have known parenting, you know that it brings a lot of stressful and challenging situations. It brings extremely delightful experiences, including with the most regular mundane activities, and it brings the ability to witness miracles of biblical proportions. And I just wanted to take a chance here. This church has been so loving to Kristen and I, and now to Micah. To, to reflect on some of the, my lessons from fatherhood today. And in preparing for these, I've uh, realized that they really are lessons for living my life. And I hope they'll have some resonance for you in the living of your life, your lives. And I can't go any farther without saying how indebted Kristen and I to the people of this church who have taught us so much about parenting and family life and community. Uh, It's a little intimidating to preach on fatherhood in front of so many good parents uh, who who know so many of these lessons for decades. Um, we're, We're surrounded by family and friends that really touch our hearts on a regular basis. And I can't go any farther without saying how tremendous... A mother, Kristen, is Uh, the, the love and devotion that she gives to Micah is inspiring to my heart beyond belief on a regular basis. And I love you very much. So I broke it down in a couple areas where I see categories of issues. And one is handling challenges, working through painful exhaustion, which can lead to despair and anger. Um, I thought running a church was hard (laughs) until I got into parenthood. And let me tell you some people, I mean, I I have so much respect for parents, people who do it well. Um, It is tough business um, in ministry and, in, and with friendship for decades, so we, we started a little later than the average bear. Um, we're in our early 40s, and we both had people say for decades these parenting truths to us, one being you're not going to believe how tired you are and how exhausting it is. And I witnessed people, for long, and I knew this is true. I knew that pe- you know, they're not making it up, and this would come true for me, and it has. Um I, I literally uh have become interested in what maybe the male equivalent of postpartum depression. <laughs> Doctor, what do you think? <laughs> Not the physiological part I guess for the for the father although maybe but in, there are certain uh weeks in the first months where I just I had the blues because it, it was tough. I felt uh you know life was saying Okay, Kent, you've had these patterns of living for a long time now, and I'm going to crack you wide open like a walnut boy. You're going (laughs) to change. Laugh or cry, laugh or cry. Um, Debbie Ward was over one day when it was earlier in Micah's life with her grandson Caleb, and she's after about 20 minutes she said, You know, you're not completing any of your sentences, don't you? <laughs> the big Debbie smile. And I said, um, It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I didn't think I was completing sentences. Uh, but it was really a time when I thought a majority of my brain cells were not working properly. And uh, on many days I was so exhausted like, well, we made it to eight in the morning. It is nap time. Woo! Send in the babysitter. There's no babysitter? Okay, we can make it another hour, I guess. Um, and, and in meetings and, in, and uh, on phone calls, I, I literally felt like I was within milliseconds of being able to just fall asleep. Just be able to go <laughs> <laughs> um, Emma Bombeck summed up my approach when she said, when my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen, and when they're finished, I climb out. You have to be innovative and make creative adjustments to be a parent. Um, So as, as a recovering alcoholic, I have been using the slogan one day at a time for almost 20 years now. And in fatherhood, this slogan takes on new meanings of cosmic proportion. As we break down, just change this diaper right now, man. You can get just do this. Just clean up this high chair tray. Just wipe this high chair tray down. Don't think about anything else, and um, it helps me not feel overwhelmed. The other element of fatherhood, which um, is good for the rest of life, it really helps me focus on what is important in life versus what is not important. I swear I have grown exponentially in not sweating the small stuff a life because I just can't and it it really translates to other areas of my life like family friends self-care ministry I've learned when that when I'm so tired I can barely stand up it doesn't mean I'm gonna die and I'm learning I've always been a good napper I love a, a good nap but the nap is gold just got to embrace the nap. And going to bed early has been a new, I, I've always been a night owl, a newly much appreciated experience. On, on New Year's Eve, we went to bed at 1030. Now, you could think that's kind of sad because there were some events there in the area we were at in Mexico that we're, we missed. But I was thrilled because um, it, it's just a creative adjustment to self-care. I was thrilled to get sleep and to fill my body up with some, you know, put some gas in the tank. Uh, so I think for all of us, whenever life circumstances change, any shape or form, creatively changing your self-care and your approach to focusing on what's important versus what's not. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's a life skill that, hopefully, that I know we teach each other here in the church. Second category is around protecting the little one and all that comes along with that, learning how to work through fear of something bad happening to the baby. This, um, Jimmy and I have talked about this a lot over our time here in the church. Uh, all animals have this instinct to protect their offspring, and, and we all have an instinct to protect the innocent. I started this. Jim, Jim told me that this was going to happen, and it did. Uh, the miracle of life is mind-boggling in many ways. From the time the sperm and the egg get together, now and, and move forward, I, I'm more mind-boggled than ever. But when they come out of the, when they're born, and they can breathe on their own every minute for their entire lives, I just for months I said, "How do you know they're going to keep breathing?" I, I still feel that, and so develop this great skill, the baby's sleeping, silently creep up, listen for the breath, see the chest moving, it's good, <laughs> move, and then, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, come back. And it goes on and on, you know, they fall, they hit their head, they crack their face, um, life happens, We we had a terrible scare before, we had to child-proof our house. Micah was not mobile at all, but we had friends over with a child who was, and the boy fell down a big set of stairs. And we were, like, the world stopped. And then, boom, we all rushed and grabbed Alessandro, and miraculously, he was okay. He did not even need to see a doctor. Um, But people who have been down the path, people in church and in life who have been mentoring us, say, you know, this is just the balance. Uh, The the first noble truth of Buddhism is that suffering happens and nobody is immune, including our children, including the people we care about. And so there's this balance that goes on for our whole lives. You know, we flip the script when our parents get older and we start having a higher percentage of caretaking for them. How do we care for them and love them and do our best but know that we cannot prevent them 100% from having troubles or suffering? It's a spiritual, there's some spiritual answers in there somewhere, and we keep learning it better by sharing and helping each other. And that's, that's a transition to my next category of a lesson that keeps coming to me time and time again in fatherhood, which is the importance of asking for and receiving help. Asking for and receiving help, uh, it, the the profound wisdom and truth of it takes a village to raise a child becomes more evident to me every day folks who try and do parenting in an isolated bubble I just I feel for them and and it's and it's really really tough stuff um, it's a, there's a counterintuitive spiritual truth here which is that folks who are doing better often have developed a good skill in asking for and receiving help you might think It's the opposite, because you could look at the finished product of someone who looks like they have their act together, getting an A-plus and all these important categories of life, and you could think, well, look at that person. That's another example of why I'm annoyed that I have to ask for help because they're doing so well on their own. I'd like to meet, you know, I think that's very few and far between. Um, In parenting, when when... We're struggling when Micah's struggling. We're blessed to be able to make a plan and say, I got him for the next hour and a half. You go get something else done or get a little rest. We'll trade off at 9 o'clock. We have family and friends that when we're around, we ask for help, and we're blessed to receive help, and we like to offer help to others as well. Um, It takes a village. I say this when couples get married. I say it takes a village to raise a couple. To, to realize their potential in marriage. It takes a village to, for any person to realize her or his potential emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And so I have to ask for help every day in, in fatherhood or I'm not going to be as good a daddy to Micah and I'm going to be on the slope to misery. The next category I have called the inherent... Individuality of each person. Um, it's connected to the inherent dignity and worth of all people. But um, once again, parenthood has just driven this home for me be- because in the beginning, with when Michael was born, like probably all children, a lot of talk. Oh, he looks like you. Oh, he's got her eyes. Oh, he's starting to do this thing with his left hand that reminds you of his grandfather. You know. Uh, when he laughs, he looks like, gra- he looks like grandma. And um, so I was really fascinated about all that stuff in the beginning, but very soon it became totally evident. He is Micah Hart Harmon Matthias, totally his own little guy in 100% of magnificent glory, an individual human being developing. And I, I love to embrace that as a father but as we work towards our goal of being a people's church, which is truly welcoming and truly ministers to all people. I don't care what your sexual orientation, I don't care what your racial or ethnic background, I don't care how many levels of education you've been to or how much money you make. You know, we should not be in the business of thinking of people or putting people in boxes. You know, oh, you're from that box of humanity, so I know a lot about you. If we get out of that and listen to people's stories, get to know people for who they are, all the richness of the gifts that people bring to life and families can be maximized. And we can truly, that, I mean, that's why we say we're growing a diverse church because there is such a richness and the diversity of the human family it reminds me of unitarian minister norbert Chapek, who developed he's the architect of the flower communion which we celebrate here in this church uh, this is started in prague where once a year in the springtime people would bring in from their farms and from their gardens flowers to put together in the center of the church and and it symbolizes the importance of giving and receiving, but the composite of all the flowers is a magnificent beauty, and that is the beloved community. But if you take the time to look at each flower, it is so amazing in its uniqueness, and that's, that's the kind of time we need to take with each other and our children to help cultivate our own personhood. The last category that I want to share about is love i've never loved like this Kristen is my soul partner and i love her deeply but um certain parts of my heart have developed in ways that i didn't know they could when mike and i are laughing when we're when we're chilling out on the bed laying back and sometimes we think the same thing is funny and just have a belly laugh the rest of the world stops that is it. This is, this is all that's going on for me right now, and it's magnificent. Not only do Kristen and I know that we would give our lives for him at any minute. We love him so much, if some scenario presented itself. But we also know that our lives have not had this kind of satisfaction previously. Micah teaches me love of life, and wonder. This is what our children do for us. He is so excited and curious to get in the microwave. He opens up the microwave and sticks his head in and bangs the plate, comes out and closes the microwave. He has his little toy where there's 30 buttons, but he knows this button plays his favorite song, and then he dances to it. He is contagious in his love of life, and I absorb that from him, and then I give it back to him. And this love of life is a precious commodity which must be protected and cultivated because we know in the living of our lives we can lose it. We can move away from it in our focus. Rachel Carson talked about the importance of parents sharing the love of life with children. She said, "'If a child is to keep alive his inborn sense of wonder,' He needs the companionship of at least one adult who can share it. This is what we do in our community. We help each other to keep alive our inborn sense of wonder. Together with our children and each other, we continually rediscover joy and excitement about the mystery of the world we live in. Profound new Exciting love can happen in many areas of our life. It can surprise us at any time. We can fall in love again and again with new friends, with old friends, with hearing birds sing their songs, with following our own breath. You can fall in love with the ability to follow your own breath or interacting with this marvelous winter wonderland that nature just created for us this weekend. We can open our hearts in ways we have not experienced before. And if we keep living in this beloved community together, our chances increase all the time for doing that. Blessings be. Amen.